that's one of the goals with a lot of the songs that I write is to put stuff in there that it will either be timeless or will either continue to grow in importance or relevance as time goes on as the song ages. Welcome to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Bardo and James Treichler. Bardo has always performed as a solo work. However, he did mention that back in high school, he was in a group called Black Cotton. And James, you may know from a long list of bands, Turbo Pascal, Crazy Marvin, Sangamon, Matt Carter Band, The Dirty Feathers, Elsinore, Tang Dynasty, Emily Blue, and Mermaid Heaven. So, Bardo and James, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks. Good to see you again, Sven. It's it's been a while. Today, we're going to be listening to the song Tranquila. Without further ado, as I love to say, let's listen to the song. the sound right back grown up all cap and gown like that bring it back so when you brown up black somehow we still get out like that get out like Exactly what I mean Ain't no way around it And ain't no point in pouting Just live your life and be free And be free Yeah, be free, just be free 
of people never sense to stink A lot of missing links A lot of people never take the chance Because they worry what their cousin mama sister think But if you blink it just might pass you by Intuition never something you could pacify Me monkey putting fingers in the passerby Cause you telling me you couldn't would it And they ask you why you ain't try though Burns you up just like pyro Now you throwing punches like Tybo On a downward circular spiral But it is what it is, we adapt to just Trying to leave a better world for those after us If I put it in the verse, I can back it up Go on, hit them with the chorus, cause I rapped enough Let me wrap it up, what? Tranquila Tranquila Toma tu tiempo, baby Tranquila Tranquila Until I can show you just exactly what I mean Ain't no way around it And ain't no point in pouting Just live your life and be free And be free Yeah, be free, just be free Don't take it easy, easy Just live your life, live your life and be free Welcome back. So, Bardo, let me ask you, when you begin a song, and even more specifically this song, is it usually like the words first, or does the music come first? Do you work with the producer and the producer creates something? How does that usually work? I would say probably seven times out of ten, it starts with the music. And yeah, you could say I work with a producer. I mean, I, I kind of look at myself as going through production phases and then going through writing phases and then going through promotion phases. So <clears throat> during my production phase, I just kind of just make as much stuff as possible. I'm just throwing as many ideas at the wall as possible. And this was actually one that um, that I, I was just kind of in a nice little groove working on a lot of different music. And initially when I first kind of put the chords and the drums together. I was like, man, this would work really well for something with Family of Geniuses because I had been talking to um, Adam and Augie from from Family of Geniuses, one of my favorite bands up in Chicago and the scene up there. I initially presented it to them as some sort of collaboration. Slowly, I just, I kept listening to it because I liked it. I was just listening to it in the car and, and slowly the words started to come in. That's normally how it goes. I try not to put a lot of pressure on the words. And initially, I just try to like live with it and see how it makes me feel and the energy that I'm getting from it and just kind of work off that. I think that's that's how it went with this one as well. Just out of curiosity, when the words started coming, what was the first thing that kind of came out in writing the words? Like, was it the verse or was it the chorus, the bridge, something like that? How did that start out? Definitely started with the first thing you hear on the song is the first thing that I came up with. Uh, guess who brought the sound right back? I kept playing with that melody because I thought it, it just sounded cool. It was 
really bouncy. I liked how it felt over the rhythm that I had established with the drums and everything. So I kind of just started building off of that because I thought it was fun. And the words came pretty closely to how they are in the actual song. It was the first verse first, then then I came up with the hook, which was obviously super simple. For a long time, I had the first verse repeating over again in the second verse, word for word, verbatim, just because I thought it was cool. I thought it was strong. There's quite a few songs that I like that do that. It's an interesting effect. It's just really simple, but it, if it's catchy enough, you know, it makes it stick in your head even more. It Girl by Pharrell being one of those that comes to mind. And then eventually I started tweaking a little bit with the verse to create the second verse. But if you hear it, it's really not that much different from the first. It's still pretty close to that original melody and, and cadence. The bridge came in last. That was a quite a late addition, but I think that was what kind of brought everything together. And then obviously we had Jazz Lissette on there sprinkling all that just wonderful goodness, vocal butter all over the whole thing. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> when you start working on your pieces, do you usually work some of these things out on like the keyboard or like how do, how do you construct your pieces together and, and just build or do you start off with like a, like a drum part and then build the music over it? I pretty much always start with either keys or drums. Occasionally there's a bass line that comes in, but for this one, yeah, it actually did. It started off, I'm pretty sure it was, it was drums first. If you listen, I don't know, somebody said it sounded like a gunshot, but there's like a snare in there that's like real big. And I've been listening to Kids See Ghosts. Kids See Ghosts had just come out not too long before that. And I was listening to that first track, Feel the Love, and I was like, man, this is this is crazy. It's, you know, it's kind of a, a little bit more of like a marchy sort of a rhythm to it. I was pretty inspired by that. I was like, man, I want some, some drums that are real hard like that, but it's still bouncy and something you could dance to. So, yeah, that's what I came up with. And then, yeah, shortly after that, probably the next day or whatever, I came back and kind of threw, threw those chords on there. I feel like a lot of your music has a positive spin on things in some ways. And, and usually has kind of that bounce. And I feel like in the midst of with George Floyd and like the third line is life's hard when you're brown or black. And I feel like you didn't write that in response to, but you it's something that's been constantly a part of your life. How do you feel like that reflects within this current context, but uh, maybe even you could say that this context has always been there. It's a tough, tough thing to talk about. But yeah, I think you, I think you put it right. I think the second thing you said was pretty on point. I think it's something that's kind of always been there. And for a lot of people, it's a little bit easier to kind of push off to the side or overlook until it gets like this. But yeah, for me, it's kind of always something that's on my mind obviously i'm black both my parents are black and most of my family's black or brown and or brown yeah it's something that you know just lying life's hard when you're brown or black i mean that's kind of been that way for as long as i can you know think back it's weird it's just one of those things that just the context of everything that's going on right now just happened to make it a little more poignant right now but uh i definitely did, did not write it in in response to that i'm happy that you know that it continues to apply. That's one of the goals with a lot of the songs that I write is to put stuff in there that it will either be timeless or will either continue to grow in importance or relevance as time goes on as the song ages. I'm curious about Tranquila is like tranquil. I, I've I've had it where I've Googled uh, certain phrases and come back with like the wrong answer. I had that in one of my episodes. So I... I I'm I'm trying to be a little cautious in terms of making sure I translated it correctly. It's interesting that you had that context of 
life being hard, um, but also trying to just focus on things that are tranquil. How do you mix the two in your music? I think in general, I'm a pretty happy person. I'm just somebody who tends to gravitate more towards positive stuff. I obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of balance, so I, I like both. I think in terms of the kind of chill nature of the song or chill nature of the lyrics, it's more so not saying ignore how tough it is or ignore all the bad things that are going on. But in the hook, I say, toma tu tiempo, baby, like take your time. As much as this particular moment feels like, oh man, the world's on fire, this is crazy. What's gonna happen? It's a long fight if you are brown or black. It's a lifetime fight. I don't know, for me personally, I, I don't want to burn out. So it's kind of one of those things you gotta pace yourself with all this stuff. Even with everything that's going on on social media with all the George Floyd coverage and everything. I don't know about you guys, but I can't be on my phone all day long looking at that. I tried that a couple of days and it was just, it was too much. It's crazy. And that's that's not ignoring what's going on. It's just pacing yourself because it is a it's a long fight and if, anything is going to change or any positive is going to come from this is going to be over the course of probably some months and years and, and decades. It's not going to, it's not going to all happen in these, in these first few days. So that's really kind of what I meant with, um, with saying that with saying tranquila. Do you have a particular favorite line in, in the song? Either it's one that you're proud that you wrote in the song or, or one that you're just, you really enjoy saying or performing or singing at the time hmm um man that's a good question favorite line i mean i really like the life's hard when you're brown and black when i wrote that and fit that into the melody i was like oh yeah that's it felt good to say because it was true <laughs> and um and it rhymed and it fit in and everything so and the somehow we still get down like that is just is very to me is kind of sums up what i've experienced as the black experience it's like you know we get mistreated we get murder we get the short end of the stick in in most ways in society but somehow we still are able to you know provide all this amazing culture and and all these amazing people and you know just everything that we contribute comes from that in in spite of that i think also first few lines of the rap verse um, i was pretty happy with i enjoy rapping those that a lot of people do the rinse repeat a lot of people never sense the stink a lot of missing links a lot of people never take the chance because they worry what their cousin, mom, and sister think. That was just something I was really focused on at on the time when I was writing. It was like, man, why don't more people kind of go for what they love or go for their passion? And, and why do people settle and all that kind of stuff? Mm. I don't know. I mean, that's that's not to judge anyone. That's just what I was thinking about at the time. And um, But yeah, I would say those are, those are some of my favorites in the song. So I'm going to just jump a little bit over to... Uh, both both you and James like how did your collaboration come about where you're out and performing together and maybe working on songs together that kind of thing how did that happen yeah I kind of remember I think this was right around the time I was kind of wrapping up helping Pogo studio that used to be here in Champaign Mark Rubel is making the move to Nashville. I was running Pogo kind of in the interim phase. And so we were still just getting clients rolling in the door. One of those was Bardo. You were like nearing the end of your time at U of I, right? Were you a senior? Yeah, I was. Yeah, senior year. I feel like I barely remember you even living here. 
to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Did we ever have a session at Pogo though? No, we um we were playing phone tag for like a month or something, and then uh, we ended up. I think we ended up doing a session at Perennial. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Well, we probably did a couple more sessions. You would bring ideas, and we would just get to work. I remember you were having some want some help getting some shows together and i feel like things kind of grew from there i mean i remember even our first shows probably at least half if not more of our set was stuff that you had done years before my involvement yeah and then uh, we kind of started working together you were wanting to kind of chase a more lively sound with real instrumentation and I feel like we were kind of at the right time, at the right place with um, a lot of the musicians in the champagne scene. I probably would have signed up for the gig anyways. We're kind of making the jump to Chicago. At the time, it was Church Booty, now Fay Ray. They were making that move. Um, Emily Blue was on some of the early stuff. Yep. So anyways, I only bring that up because it, I feel like it made Bardo also move to Chicago. Uh, not seem like that much of a disconnect from the project and i feel like we just kind of kept working kept uh hit and record as much as we could you know bardo would send me these logic sessions with you know 300 tracks and <laughs> that's kind of where where things started and where things went to and then i feel like i mean we started playing a couple shows and next thing you know we it kind of just didn't stop we had a pretty comical first show. I'm sure Bardo remembers this. I'll always remember the timeline too. It was pretty easy because I remember us in rehearsals watching Germany destroy Brazil in the world. Oh, yes, yes. Um, was it like seven zero or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. The craziest part of it was that we were like so happy to be like opening this show at Lincoln Hall. And through a series of pretty wild events, like multiple groups dropped off and our first show was headlining Lincoln Hall, yep. <laughs> which is just terrifying because we had never, never played a note out in public together. Uh. I had never even heard any of our samples through a really even more of a PA than like studio speakers. I remember running the first like 808 samples through the Lincoln Hall system and like the front of house guy just gave me a look like, <laughs> yo, man. <laughs> it uh, was just completely, completely like destroying their system. So we learned some things pretty quick. Yeah, that was, uh, that we definitely got um, thrown into the fire on that first one. But I remember thinking like, well, hey, I mean, if we can do this one, then I think we'll be all right. I think, yeah, we got uh, through it. We kept going. We've, I mean... Yeah, we've played a lot of stages since and learned a lot from all of them. But I think jumping, like you say, jumping into the fire on that first one. I mean, I think this goes for not only Bardo's music, you know, with the albums, but I mean, kind of the cast of characters around everything. I think it's a really positive, cool thing. But I mean, he sends me tracks all the time that I'm like, yo, who's singing? Like, yo, who's playing horns? Like... I did, you know, a lot of times I don't know. And it, it's a lot of him putting in the work with, you know, relationships, crafting a sound, who would be best for this, like who wants to collaborate. But the same has always kind of gone for our shows too. I mean, mm. we've probably 
played a few dozen shows, just him and I kind of doing our thing. And we've played shows with what, seven and eight piece bands before too. It's keeps you on your toes. I mean, I always like that, you know, for the most part, <laughs> we've had a couple, couple uh, times when it's uh, obviously makes things a little more complicated when you're, uh, you know, trying to figure out schedules for eight people and transportation, but that's part of being in any band. We've kind of always kept a very like open door to collaboration. And uh, I mean, that's to Bardo's credit more than mine for sure. So I actually really appreciate the live sound between the two of you just because you've got, I want to say you have a healthy mix of like the analog and the digital samples. Like it's, it's different than having a a DJ sit behind you, Bardo, and to have like the acoustic instruments playing in the background, laying down the beat, and then the other parts getting laid in over the the sample. It's just, I I think that's a a great sound. And I think you both have have your own personas in terms of how you perform, but I, I feel like the interaction between you two, there's like this great vibe. It's been a while since I've seen you, but I'm hoping that when we return back to performing, that you'll come down and play uh, Champaign-Urbana at some time. I appreciate that. You appreciate the live aspect of what we got going on. When James and I met and started working together, I think it was just perfect timing because I started to, I don't want to say grow out of the hip-hop box per se, but I started to kind of look elsewhere, look at different genres. I was really getting into reggae. I was getting in the early, you know, 70s, 60s, 70s rock, all that kind of stuff. Just stuff with more live instruments. And I remember, I don't know who I saw live. It might have been been the Roots or something like that. But I remember seeing, you know, live drums and feeling the live drums at the show and feeling that real kick drum and that feeling that reverberates throughout the whole crowd when, when the drummer hits that. And I was just like, man, that's so much different than, don't get me wrong, 808 is amazing. It's great. But it's a whole different feeling. And I was like, man, I want that feeling. That's uh, that's all I really knew. I was like, man, I want that. I remember seeing formerly Church Booty, as James said, but now Faye Ray. I remember seeing them perform and just being like, man, I like that dude on the keys, man. Like, I need that, you know, I need that, that sauce that he's got over there, man. He's, you know, he's killing it. But also just the feel of, you know, live you know, electric keyboards and and real horns and all that kind of stuff. I think Channel Orange by Frank Ocean was very influential for me Mm. and kind of leading me down that direction of trying to become, trying to make things a little bit more musical. At least for me, the thing that really got me excited about working with James was that I kind of expressed all of that to him early on. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, Yeah, I've been listening to this, too. This will work. I know this guy. I know that guy. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, because, you know, I started, you know, doing traditional like hip hop, hip hop. And it's not to say that people within hip hop don't think that way, but it's not always the first thought of the first um, resources. Like, let me go. Let me go call up this sax player. You know, this this young dude, see what he can put down or. Yo, I got this singer who was Emily Blue at the time. I got this singer in, in the studio. You know, I showed her this song. You mind if uh, she hops on it real quick? And I'm like, yeah, of course, whatever. So like James said, it definitely has been a pretty open door when it comes to collaborations, but very natural too. Not something that we really ever force, I don't think. I'm never like, oh man, I need I need a verse for this. Or I need this or that. It's just kind of, I think over time, we've kind of sort of started to put together the, the pieces of what makes the sound, the sound go after collaborations that will help 
you know, help yeah. aid in, in creating that sound. Very instrumental to kind of even forming the group out was our friend Adam Bardo and Adam had been roommates what the last two years or so, something like yeah. that. Yep. And Adam and I were actually just joking about this not too long ago because we've had kind of been acquaintances before any of this. I always like greatly admired his playing, but just we lived in different towns and you know, that's kind of how it goes. And working on the Bardo stuff, we wanted to kind of fill out the group a little bit. I remember we played that, was it Velvet Lounge? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yep. Adam jumped on. Yep. And, you know, Adam's like a super prepared, totally professional musician. And this was his first gig. I remember I showed up and had like forgotten a snare drum. <laughs> I kind of bring that up on that same note of like, it was pretty wild being able to immediately fill in any need, you know, the idea that we would just be like, yo, let's, let's add musicians in a matter of like a week or two. We had like a super slamming band that was mm -hmm. ready to do it. And then Adam's now the bass player in Elsinore as well. Bardo, we had talked about this kind of briefly about how this song, Tranquila, you're hoping that it's going to be a part of a larger piece of work, a an album or an EP. So what's going to be the concept with this album that you're you're working on? I consider myself an album artist 100%. When we started throwing around the idea of putting out singles, it was a little weird because it's hard for me to even, how do I put it? It's, it's, when I like making music knowing that it's going to live somewhere bigger or that it's going to fit into some bigger concept so that I can kind of tie some of the themes together across the songs, some of the instrumentation and all that. When I first started trying to plan, okay, I'm drop a single here, drop a single there. It was a little tough because I was like, man, well, these are just kind of living on their own that I like things to be cohesive. It's weird. I kind of have started to look at it as sort of a hybrid. You know, it's just like these are still going to come out on this project whenever this project comes out. But for right now, you know, the world needs them right now. So we're just going to, you know, put them out as singles. But I think the cool thing is that, you know, Tranquila and Igual Que Tu might not sound you know, the single that we just put out might not sound super cohesive, but I think when you put it together in the, in the bigger project, I think it will. Overall, James and I have been talking a lot about reggae and dub music. That's been a big inspiration of mine for this project that I'm working on. It, it might not be super audible in these first two singles, but I guarantee there's stuff coming that will kind of hint more at that. Just that island vibe. Um, I'm always very attracted to that. Yeah, one of my favorite bands is uh, a Puerto Rican reggae band called Cultura Profetica. They've inspired me a ton. A lot of Brazilian music from the 70s, Tim Maia, Gilberto Gil, Vinha, uh, even modern people like Seu Jorge and Vanessa da Mata, like, uh, people like that have really also inspired the sound a lot. Just, just kind of warming it up even more from kind of where we were at with Gringo. I think early on, I was just like, man, I just wanted everything to be warm. I just want baselines to be warm. I want everything to just feel very warm because, you know, um, I'm from Chicago. I'm from a cold place. But <laughs> but I yeah. think deep down, I'm like, a, I'm a tropical dude. Um, so that's always what I'm trying to transmit. Um, thematically, lyrically, I'm just focused on, on writing stuff that can apply to you, me, James, somebody in, you know, Europe, China, wherever, just kind of more universal themes and not in a corny way, but just things that go a little bit below the surface, but aren't so deep or specific that, you know, it takes one type of person to relate to it. I just want to make 
really uh, relatable stuff. I think Bob Marley did a really good job with that. He was always writing stuff that, you know, you didn't have to be from Jamaica to know that when the rain falls, it don't fall on one man's housetop. You know, it's pretty universal. Really focusing on those type of messages and it's also still giving people something to dance to. You know, I still like those rhythms, those danceable rhythms. So I think those are the main cornerstones of the project right now. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you at least about the, the video. Again, there's there's like that sense of fun to it. What was the original inspiration? How did that come about? First off, I got to shout out Talis Films. They're the folks who did the video, who I worked on the video with. Jordan Graves, Maddie Austin, really super professional team over there. And also the folks at Camera Ambassador really helped out with the gear and just kind of helping get everything together. But I went to Jordan a few months before we shot and just told him that I was very interested in doing something a little bit different. I worked with them on the Family of Geniuses video i just want to kick it and that was really cool we ended up just real quick i couldn't make it to the day the actual day of the shoot so we shot another day where it was just one camera just me straight on and they they projected that shot up on the wall when they actually shot the video so that was cool just that idea alone the way that they were able to turn that scheduling dilemma into a pretty cool part of the video I was pretty impressive and just like the way that they handled everything Jordan and I talked for a couple times we had a couple meetings and I just told him I was like man you can only shoot so many like leaning on a car videos or like rapping in the camera you know what I mean just like right. real basic rap videos which there's nothing wrong with like I still want to go back to doing some of those because those are cool but I had done a few of those leading up to that and I just wanted to do something really different I just wanted to take a left he was like all right well what about like some sci-fi you know, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, something just some, something completely different, something kind of old school, kind of campy, you know, whatever. And he just he wrote up a treatment and actually he and Austin both wrote treatments and we just kind of took the best things from each one and combined them. We ended up with that. It was it was something that was a surprise for me, even, you know, up to being on set and just looking at the monitor and be like, oh, this is how this is going. Okay, cool, cool. But it was awesome, though. It was, it felt good because I'm, I'm normally really, really hands-on with my videos. I edit most of my videos. I co-direct a lot of them. I help shoot some of them. It was kind of nice to take a step back in a way. I had a lot of say creatively, and they were really good about making it feel like I, I still had a say in what was going on, asking me that I like this shot, that I like that shot, how am I feeling about everything? It was cool to kind of hand it over to them a little bit and have something completely new, completely left of what we've done before come out of it. So, you know, just wanted to catch people off guard and let them know to stay on their toes. You know, we're not following a formula. We're, we're you know, trying a bunch of different stuff. But it did still feel very distinctly you. There was just, yeah, I don't, I, I, I can't like put my finger on it, but it did, it did still feel very much like something you know, you had a part in. So, I think that's really cool. I'm, I'm going to just, just uh, deviate briefly uh, to, to put James in the hot seat here. James, what is your favorite line from the song? That's a good one. Honestly, like the whole rap verse is just really strong. I mean, I think that's something I know Bardo and I have kind of talked about is like uh, we kind of turned a corner where you're obviously doing a lot of singing, which has been like great the last two singles have featured a lot of like rapping doesn't come in until later in the song it's almost treated like a hidden talent 
obviously people that come from a rap background wouldn't wait like two and a half minutes into a song to start rapping oh that whole verse is pretty strong i know bardo and i kind of talk about this a lot too because i sometimes i just have to play devil's advocate as like someone that doesn't speak as many languages i'm say that out of humility because i'm always very amazed obviously bardo doesn't just sit around working on languages you you do this out of like love and respect for other cultures which i think is a even more admirable reason to do so you do it from a place of like inclusion in your music sometimes as like co-producing i had to step back and be like could you explain this lyric to me and then he does and i'm like oh, i totally get it cool thank you and then i'm like maybe try to get like a little more of that in there but honestly even the ability to do that and keep it in a musical way i don't feel like you listen to any of the songs and get like baffled or it's like off-putting or anything that there are some language changes so it's something that's been very deliberate and discussed it's not just like throwing things at the wall and see what sticks i mean i know bardo talks about shrink the world kind of this Mm -hmm. concept of like bridging territories so to speak you know so i think that is a really important part of his music to be very deliberately stepping through some barriers that i mean have been there pretty much until very recent times just the fact that you can pop a song online and it's you know streaming in brazil like 30 minutes later i mean why would you not want to like offer a hand to you know make your music at least somewhat uh inclusive to other audiences so COVID-19 got you down? You looking for some music? Some video games? Well, Exile Main Street still has all the things you need. New and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile Main Street still has something for any music enthusiast and old-school gaming devotee. Exile Main Street is taking orders, making deliveries, and pickups by appointment. They can find just about any music or video game you need. Check out their website, ExileMainStreet.com, for links to their Discogs page for new additions. You can also contact them via Facebook Messenger to see what they can find for you. They can also be reached on Instagram, Twitter, email, or phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, James and Bardo, let's talk about the Champaign-Urbana music scene and maybe even a little bit about the Chicago music scene. Let's jump into the CU music scene. Do either of you have, past or present, a favorite venue? I gotta say, me personally, it would have to be Cowboy Monkey. I think that was where we we played the most. I think our first show there was like really, really good. I remember it being being really good. It sounded really good. The sound was always awesome at Cowboy Monkey. We always did pretty well with crowds there. I have a special affinity for High Dive because that was kind of like, I don't even, is it still called that? Oh, well, it was the Accord. Now it's uh, turning into a wedding venue. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
I feel like that was one of the first places that I went where I was like, yo, there's actually a scene here for real. Like I was actually talking to my girlfriend who who also went to U of I recently. And I was like, man, like I remember hearing people talking about going down to downtown Champagne to hang out. And I'd be like, man, what do you think? You think you're in grad school or something like what? Like, you know, like it, it was just it just always seemed like a, I don't know. It's weird. Like the perception from from campus, at least from um, where I was, it was like it's just kind of like I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. was wrong. How about that? Like, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was an incorrect perception. Like James said, we didn't connect until my senior year. And I was so I was so I was pissed because I was like, are you serious? I wasted all this time at fucking Joe's and Cam's, you know, when I could have been, you know, actually, you know, listening to some awesome music. Like, I'm not going to, let me not trash Joe's or Cam's, like, you know, but. Well, you know, Cam's is like, you got to come down, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, heard, but uh, nah, man, but that's just to say there's like a really vibrant scene down there and I had no idea. And, you know, like we talked about the, the gang from Church Booty or, or Faye Ray and how they were, they were involved much earlier than I was and they were, you know, they were over there doing their thing. And, you know, I, I only had a small piece of it. I only got to a glimpse of a small piece of the scene. And then obviously for the few years when I was kind of coming back and forth a lot to, to play shows and work with James, it was super impressive. Honestly, it was a lot of people are in three or four different bands, you know, and they're kind of going in and out doing their thing. You might play two shows on the same bill just because you got two of your bands playing on the same show. Just I love the community vibe of it. I think that's something that, in my experience, was lacking a little bit in the Chicago scene, just because it's a, you know, Chicago's a big city. But I think the small town feel of Champaign made it feel like it was more of a community and a, a more tight knit group. But so much talent and so many just cool people and, and people that are easy to work with. I'm looking forward to the day that, you know, all the venues are able to open back up again. I think the first couple of weeks when that happens, those are going to be some pretty amazing shows, to be honest. You know, a lot of oh, pent yeah. up energy. Yes. So, James, do you have a favorite venue? No, I mean, I guess like, you know, even mentioning Cowboy Monkey, it, it's not around anymore as a music venue. So, but I will say it seemed like Cowboy Monkey's era. I know that building was legendary venue previously as the Blind Pig, but that venue as the Cowboy Monkey seemed to very much like align and coincide with my introduction to this town when I started kind of playing in bands. So it'll always hold a special place in my heart just from the standpoint of like I kind of cut my teeth there meeting so many people that still to this day are like super big parts of my life not only musically but as friends you know so it's kind of hard to even look at a venue from like uh, objective standpoints <laughs> When, like, so many of your memories there, like, just the amazing people, the amazing bands, even a lot of the staff, the sound crew, bouncers, Ward booked that place a lot of time. I mean, he's a legend in this town. You know, I met so many people there. I mean, now, of course, I feel like, you know, the whole crew over at the Rose Bowl is doing awesome work i'm not super involved in like any venue i play shows when we when bands i'm in book shows it's a really tough atmosphere out there to keep the doors open and to keep a scene really vibrant and i know there's been a lot kind of said about what's seemingly like a lull i mean obviously mm -hmm. right now it's a 
it's a complete shutdown, but even prior to that, but I don't know. I'd like to think that under the surface, it's just a matter of things kind of reworking themselves a bit. I mean, it is a bummer monkey's gone, but I know like city center is trying to like be a thing and it would be cool to see uh, another venue step up in the absence in downtown Champaign, but I'm pretty hopeful something will happen. You know, if you like really crushed it at Cowboy Monkey for a series of shows, like you get called up to the high dive, you know? It'd always be like, once you'd get on the high dive stage, it would be kind of a different thing. That was, you know, what about a 400 cap room? It's bigger, you know, big stage of canopy is always real special. I've had some like awesome moments there. As far as just shaping my time in Champagne, it's so much of it's been connected to Cowboy Monkey. I got to shout out uh, Exile on Main too yeah, from for sure. uh, Record yeah. Store Day because that was that was always fun, man. That was always super cool, especially on the days, the couple times we were able to perform inside the record store. That was just I don't know, it was unique. It was it was cool. Like James said, like all the different stages that we played, we've learned something from, and I think I, I learned a lot playing at Exile because just having a smaller room and having to still transmit energy but not blow the whole thing out. It was very cool. It was a cool vibe in there whenever we performed. Let's kind of turn this a little bit because I feel like both of you are seasoned performers. What do you think that like in in contrast to like Chicago or or even just against itself, let's just say for Champaign-Urbana, what can Champaign-Urbana do better? How could they have a better scene or how could they be stronger i mean that's i think that's kind of the age-old question i I don't think there's any right immediate answer we have a a huge big 10 university uh, about a mile away from me there's like you know 40 something thousand potential music showgoers right there and pulling that into shows seems to be a bigger and bigger divide u of i is a much more difficult school to get into and go to now you know, I don't know that going to shows five nights a week is like part of the college experience anymore. But on that note, I mean, I think the the big thing for me is truly just promoting and trying to find things that people enjoy and come out to. I mean, Bardo can kind of speak on this too, not even just from music scene stuff, but just promoting your music in general. It's, it is an absolute mm. grind and yes. it doesn't think it's like an absolute full-time job is like i wish them the best i mean i'm as guilty as anyone but like you it's that's pretty much the beginning and the end of it and i know how hard bardo works especially getting these last couple songs out there the idea that there's any luck involved with that uh, i see bardo shaking his head there's it's hard work and the same goes for bands promoting shows and getting people out it's just hard work yeah no i would agree i would agree 100 percent with uh what james said like i said my my time that i spent in the scene it was a a number of years but it felt really quick and i always kind of lived on campus when i lived in champagne so the thing that always jumped out to me was that divide is it really is kind of like two different worlds between campus and then champagne champagne but i never knew if that was something that people wanted it to be that way i'm always cautious to say well yeah you need to just just bring everybody from you know bring all the students over and get them packing the houses out and and you'll be good because i didn't know if that also has the potential to bring a slightly different vibe the vibe that I experienced in downtown Champaign. When I say mature, I don't mean in age. I just mean like, you know, it's just a little more 
calm and, you know, respectful. That is not to say that James and I haven't had some awesome times, you know, at Seven Saints listening to Ruggish Thuggish Bone. But in the two different worlds, essentially, that are, like James said, down the street from each other. So I think from a number standpoint and from a promotion standpoint, yeah, I think it would be huge to try to somehow bridge those worlds, at least pieces of them. Because, yeah, like James said, even we would be talking about, all right, we want to play Cowboy Monkey. And then uh, maybe we should find like a, a frat party or something like that to play at, to promote over here on campus. And it was two completely different things, two completely different ways of booking those things. Maybe a little bit more synergy between those two worlds would just be beneficial to keeping the scene thriving. That would kind of be all I got on that. And I just, you know, I'd even say that cautiously. You know, I'm not a champagne native or anything like that. I don't want to you know, step on any toes, but that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what, what I've seen. If a student is living on campus, they're going to go down to campus town to drink or hang out or do things. Unless there's a live venue down there, they're not going to be exposed to live local music. Not to put a pin on exactly what the students are. I think that their priority to going out would be more about like what's close and then what has booze. Yeah. So, I feel like those those are just readily available. So, they're going to go there. If there was a live venue in campus town that was also a bar, I think that would be good. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on anything uh, right now, but I don't know. I think most bars wouldn't want a live venue because there's not as much money in that uh-huh. as just having a jukebox and then you know, having people listen to music that way and then drink, you know, so I would love to see, because was, I mean, it was like Brothers, mm-hmm. you know, Mabel's used to be, you know, we had the, uh, what was it in Urbana, the uh, Nature's Table. I mean, there, there's there's certain things that were live venues within, within like campus town walking distance and they did pretty well, but maybe not well enough. Even in the midst of the current shelter-in-place order, the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged, home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, James, what is your favorite non-musical thing? I feel like I keep myself relatively busy with some hobbies, but one thing I have kind of laughed the last, what do you say about how long have you been watching F1 now, Bardo? (laughs) Yeah, about a year, year and a half. I do like auto racing quite a bit. It's kind of a thing you just watch by yourself on the couch anyways. It's not exactly like uh, being a Cubs fan or something. (laughs) But I have noticed uh, Bardo and his girlfriend watching a lot of the Formula One races the last year. 
And so it's been kind of cool to actually have my circle of race fans grow from about maybe three to now five. (laughs) Do you have any desire to go and see like a Formula One race like live? Uh, My wife. I went to the one that's in Austin, Texas in November. So yeah, we went out down and did that. It was, uh, I mean, it was like a week long trip and that was just one day of it. I don't know if I could talk her into just only going for a race. (laughs) I just thought of that as, uh, as something I've seen that Bardo and I actually share in kind of odd hobbies that a lot of other people don't share that. I mean, that's about all I got old cars racing and, yeah, I guess sitting on my back porch and listening to music and drinking whiskey is another one. But that's about it. I can't argue with that. That all sounds wonderful. So, Bardo, what's your favorite non-musical thing? I would have to say culture in general, which is a broad word. But I was trying to think of something that would encompass language and geography and travel and history and all those different kind of things. But not even necessarily culture on a national level all the time. I mean, even like James said, we've been connecting over F1 and just kind of learning about that culture is, is super cool. Like, you know, how it all works, you know, the politics behind it, you know, what teams are known for what, you know, I mean, there's a culture to everything. There's a basketball culture, which I grew up in, you know, there's hip hop culture. There's, you know, there's the, the champagne culture, you know, it's just, it's, I, I like, putting together those dots and kind of drawing out those maps in my head for myself. Like, oh, okay, this is how this thing works over here. This is what this means here. But um, yeah, in general, I mean, like James touched on it a little bit that I'm a huge language nerd. I studied Spanish and Portuguese, a lot of German and a little bit of Italian at U of I. So that's that's my main thing. I mean, I do. He said I don't sit around all day studying languages, but I kind of do. Um, <laughs> that is definitely one of the things I do. I love it. I love you know going somewhere and being able to communicate with somebody in their native tongue. It unlocks culture, and I think one of the things you know James and I also connect on a lot is you know talking about travel and stuff. You know, he's he's gone to um, Switzerland quite a few times and. Um, he's he's told me about it. We've had quite a few conversations about it, and that's at the top of my list just from, you know, kind of talking to James and everything he's told me about. we got to go to Switzerland. You know, whenever this stuff opens back up, we're going to Switzerland and been trying to get, get my German a little bit better again and, and all that. Part of the reason why I have pursued a career in music so hard is just because there's not many other professions that would allow you to travel around and connect with people in the way that you can when you're doing a show somewhere, you're kind of spreading and absorbing culture in that way, in a, in a very symbiotic way. Is, is kind of like the dream for me. You know, I traveled around a lot as a little kid because my dad played basketball. I was fortunate enough to live in uh, Europe for a little bit and then in Japan for quite a while as a little kid. I think that really planted the seed for just that that hunger for, for wanting to see as much of the world as I possibly can and, and, and shrink the world, like James said. I mean, I don't know anybody who's gotten close to scratching the surface of knowing everything there is to know, even knowing every language in the world. You know, it's kind of one of those things you could go your whole life. You won't hit that ceiling of, okay, I know everything there is to know now. It's similar to music in that way. You know, I I do a lot of my stuff on the keyboard, but I'm by no means a technically sound pianist or anything like that. But, you know, that's a goal of mine is to continue to get better at the keys and be able to play live and be able to play drum and guitar and all that kind of stuff is it's kind of the same thing you know 
in, in both of those things with with culture or language specifically and then with music you can go your whole life and and continue to learn and that's that's what i'm all about bardo james thank you so much for being on the show and telling me all about your song tranquila and just talking about the scene past and and present and favorite non-musical things and just being able to connect over skype and be able to talk uh to both of you and spend that time i really appreciate it thank you so much thank you son yeah man thanks for having us man this was was great Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band. Champagne is also a band podcast. podcast. This is Bardo. This is James Trichler reminding, reminding you, you great music is out there. there. Go find, find it where you, you live. Almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. You can, I don't know if you can see my cat back on the chair there. She's super in my business whenever I'm at my computer.